Let's open our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1 and go a little further here in the first two verses of this epistle. 2 Peter chapter 1. A verse that I used earlier, I'll use again right now, that the gospel, when it's preached, needs faith mixed with it for it to benefit us. And it says in Hebrews chapter 4, these words, For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So we need the Word of God to be preached to us. We need the Gospel to come. We need the good news, the glad tidings of the things God has done for us to come to our ears. But we need faith inside us to mix with it. So the mixture is belief. Because if you have faith, but no one is called to preach, no beautiful feet arrive to put things on your ears, then your faith doesn't have anything to lay hold of. But if you have the if but if you hear those things and you don't have the faith, then you consider it foolishness and you just walk away and do nothing with it. Right. You need the message to arrive and the faith to be there. And here in Second Peter, we are seeing that the audience that Peter addressed, which is typical of us, had obtained like precious faith. It says in Second Peter one, one. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. We look at James 2.5. God's chosen the poor, rich in faith. We looked at Acts 18.27 that when Apollos arrived, he helped them much which had believed through grace. We looked at 1 Corinthians 12.3 where it says that you cannot say that Jesus is Lord without the Holy Ghost. God's grace arrives first and gives you faith and that is why you believe. God opens the hearts and gives it. Galatians 5.22 and 3 tell us that faith is a fruit of the Spirit. Philippians 2.13 tells us that God has worked in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And a great part of that good pleasure is believing on Him. He has worked that in us. When we cry, Abba, Father, which is an act of faith, it tells us that we are led by the Spirit of God to do so, and otherwise we never would call upon Him. In John 17 and verse 3 it says, And this is life eternal that they may know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. We get saved to know God. We don't know God to get saved. The Bible's a reversal of common theology. And so God gets all the glory, and we get none. And we're all, we're thankful to Him for it. In Luke 16, 31, Jesus told the rich man, by way of a, a lesson there in hell, that uh, if your brothers will not believe the preaching of the Word of God on the Sabbath days, then it wouldn't help them if I were to send Lazarus back from the dead. He said that through the person of Abraham in Abraham's bosom. Do you know how powerful of a statement that is? We have to obtain precious faith. There is no way that we can work it up in anyone. It wouldn't matter if we brought someone back from the dead that you knew very well and had seen at one of your relatives' gates being licked by the dogs if he were to come back from the dead, it wouldn't convert a single person. 
in the theology of the Lord Jesus Christ, it wouldn't convert anyone. God must give faith first, then we believe. That is such a powerful statement, and I know I've shared it with you many times before, but there are so many, like Charles Finney, who is one of the heretics of the 19th century, that thought he could, by various forms of manipulation, move the free will of the natural man into making a decision for Jesus and getting saved, and that is where the invitational system of Arminian decisional salvation came from. But it doesn't work. It's bankrupt from the get-go. Jesus said, if a minister could bring forth a man from the dead, it wouldn't save a single person. If they don't hear Moses and the law and the prophets being preached on the Sabbath days, they're not going to believe though a man rose from the dead. In Acts 16.14, God opened the heart of Lydia so that she attended to those things that were spoken of Paul. God gave her faith. She obtained a believing interest in Paul's gospel. 1 Peter 1.20, since you're nearby, why don't you turn back a few pages to 1 Peter 1.20, and we learned this a few months ago when we were in the first epistle of Peter. Notice what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. Who by Him do believe in God. If we believe, it is an act of God upon us by which we obtain faith, in order to believe. We can't work up faith ourselves, and we can't work it up in others. John 6, No man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him. And when God draws a person, they have obtained faith to come to Christ. Because coming to Christ is believing on Him. And Look at Ephesians 1. Now this is, you know, we could have a little a little voting here, I guess, and decide which of these are our favorite verses that faith is the work of God. This is one of my favorites, Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul is praying for these Ephesian saints. But he wants them to know something about their salvation. His prayer, the sentence begins in verse 15. He says in verse 16 that he's praying for them. In verse 17, that God, by the Spirit, would reveal this truth to them. And here's the truth that is in verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of of His power to usward who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. The power, the mighty power, the working of His mighty power, the exceeding greatness of His power. Do you see those expressions? That is what is necessary to get one of us to believe the gospel. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe? It took the exceeding greatness of the power of God to get us to believe. When a person has faith, they have obtained it by the exceeding greatness and the mighty working of His power to believe. Regeneration precedes faith. We then believe. It's a wonderful verse there. It took the same power as it took to raise the body of Jesus Christ from the dead because that's a quickening and we were quickened. I hope you know that this first chapter just dovetails right into chapter 2 perfectly when it says, and you hath he quickened. Because he's already talked about a previous quickening when God raised Jesus from the dead. And he raised us from the dead. And it's the exceeding greatness of his power. So if you believe on Jesus Christ, give God the glory for it. It is by the exceeding greatness of His power and the working of that mighty power or we wouldn't believe. 
The natural man doesn't care about the things of the Spirit of God. He doesn't care about Jesus Christ. They are cut to the heart when they hear about Jesus Christ. We're pricked because God has made a change in us, not because we've made a change. And we can't make a change in other people. We can't improve the environment of people and think that they're going to become Christians. They'll become something because they like the environment. They'll give us what we want to hear, but only God changes the hearts. And so when it says, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, oh, that's wonderful. Because there is a minority, a very small minority on the earth that God has regenerated and resurrected and quickened from death and trespasses and sins to believe the gospel. It's His work. Thank you, Lord, for saving us that way. This passage is so wonderful. This exceeding greatness of His power to cause us to believe was the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And then that's the terminology used in the first five verses of chapter 2. And you hath He quickened. That is, to make alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And that's why we believe. The the hearing ear and the seeing eye. Now what does the Bible tell us about them? The The Lord hath made them both. We have obtained like precious faith. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. John 8, 47. Look at 1 John chapter 5. It's not far from 2 Peter. 1 John chapter 5. When you hear anyone, and most of you may not hear this, but if you hear anyone talking about the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith of London, you can say to them, I prefer the 1646 that came 43 years earlier, and I prefer the 1655 Midland Confession outside of London, the Middle Territory, on your way to Wales in that island country. Both confessions of faith, where did they believe? Did they look anything like us? Absolutely. Absolutely. They knew that faith was a gift of God entirely and you couldn't work it up by any means of preaching or influence over people. 1 John 5, verse 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Do you want to overcome the world? Do you want to be a world overcomer? Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Then you need to be born of God. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. I want you all, I want to be an overcomer of this world. Well, we need to be born of God. How do we know that we're born of God? Then have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, it's the evidence that you're born of God. God had to give you the new birth first in order for you to believe. When you to believe, when you believe, it's proof that you've been born again. When you've been born again, you can overcome the world. And the victory that overcomes the world for us is this thing that God gave us that we obtained, which is like precious faith. Because it's faith that overcomes the world. Even our faith. Is that something we stir up in ourselves? Or is that something that is given to us as a gift? It's given to us. And it's wonderful. And we want to stir it up. And we want to increase it. And preaching increases it and stirs it up and brings it into activity. 
Because it says that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How does it come? Does it come to a natural man who hears the preaching of the gospel? No, it does not. It comes into activity. Because it is then mixed with the ingredient of hearing the gospel. It's a wonderful thing that we have here in 2 Peter chapter 1 and that first verse. 2 Peter 1.1 Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. We've obtained it because God gave it to us. God changed us. God implanted it in us. God opened our hearts. God drew us to Christ. Thank you, Lord, for giving us faith. Now it is called like precious faith. It's called like because it's the same kind of faith the apostles had. Peter is writing to confirm Paul. There's two men in this epistle. There was two men in the first epistle. Peter and Paul. They're pretty, it's a pretty good company to be in. So we've got the plural us. Like precious faith with us. He's going to refer to his beloved brother Paul very clearly in the end of this epistle. These two epistles were written to help our brother Paul with Jewish converts among his Gentile churches in this particular part of the world. And so the word like means, and this is so wonderful, we were talking about it at break time, Peter, who's writing this, the Catholics think is the first pope, did not speak of his faith as being up here and the faith of other believers being down here at some inferior level, he said to them that have obtained like with us, like precious faith, the same kind of faith. There's nowhere in the Word of God that you can squeak out any defense for Peter being a pope of the Catholic Church. I'd like to hear Peter's sermon if somebody said he was the pope of the Roman Catholic Church. I would enjoy that. He's the one that pulled a sword in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember? Chopped off the ear of the high priest's servant, Malchus. That'd be a great sermon. So that's what the word like is there for. The apostles were known for wanting to share gospel blessings, which I shared with you recently from 1 John chapter 1. Remember that if you turn just a couple of pages to 1 John chapter 1, the apostle John says in verse 3, that which we... Now see, this is John. Why does he say we? Because the apostles are the foundation of the church. The apostles are the one that knew, ones that knew Jesus best. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. So there's a distinction between we, a plural pronoun, and us, a plural pronoun, and you, a plural pronoun, the audience. And see, it was to them here. It's apostles to believers. Apostles to believers. John 17, we had read to us recently. Was it last Sunday, Matthew? That you read John 17 to us, beginning at verse 20, where it says, I also pray for them which shall believe on me through their word. See, those apostles brought the gospel to the world. They turned the world upside down. Anyway, I'm trying to help you understand the word like and the word with us. 1 John 1, 3, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Who are these us and we's? They're the ones that saw, heard, and handled the word of life. Our church is built on the foundation of the apostles. We want to be apostolic in every way that we can be. And the Apostle Paul helps us to be apostolic as Gentiles. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Peter's writing the same way over here in 2 Peter chapter 1. So it says like, 
And it's like apostolic faith. It's the same faith that the apostles have. But it says precious. It says precious. Faith is precious. It is so rare and can accomplish so much good. It is rare in the earth. Those that would believe the record that God gave of His Son have been very, very few in number. There are those that call themselves Christian in an almanac sense of the word, but very few that truly have come to Christ and believed on Him as Lord of their lives and humbled themselves and said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Very, very few, even among those that call themselves Christians. And so it's precious faith to be able to believe the promises of God and to lay hold of them. And it's that mixture Because you have the gospel, but if you don't have the faith, then all the promises of God's word don't do us any good. But when you've got the wonderful promises of God's word and the promises of God's presence and the promises of God's power, but you don't have faith, it's all to no avail. But if you have faith, it can mix with that and you can lay hold of all of it. You can have the presence of God increasing in your life, the power of God in your life, and the promises of God coming to bear on your mind and soul so that you have great hope That God is with you and nothing is too hard for Him. And you do not need to fear any trouble. But it it requires faith. So it's called precious. Because without it, this Word of God, 31,101 verses, 66 books, 2 testaments, 1,189 chapters, it's no good without faith. To them that have obtained like precious faith with us. Oh, that is great. The Apostle Paul, at one point in his life, King Agrippa, I thought within myself that I ought to do many things contrary to Jesus of Nazareth. Did he get an infusion of faith? Lord, who art thou? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Next response. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I want you to run around the world, be hated by everyone, be the off-scouring of all flesh, and I want you to be tormented and tortured and then die for me. Yea, Lord. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Thank you, Lord. Do you grasp how rare it is to believe and love the true God and His ways? The way that we do? It's by the grace of God. Who would want to stay here if God hadn't given you faith? And if there's anyone here without faith, they swing back there. They make easy egress. We believe. Thank you, Lord. Out of earth's population, how many truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Out of earth's population, how many hold the apostolic religion of the Lord Jesus? The faith of God's elect believes glories unknown to worldly men. Titus chapter 1 and verse 1 tells us that God promised eternal life before the world began. And it's called the faith of God's elect that lays hold of that and believes it. These are They don't even believe there is a God. But we know that there's a God that created all things and before the world He was even created, everything they put their confidence in, they have to lay their eyes on it, either by a telescope or a microscope. But we believe before there was anything to lay your eyes on, before there was anything to see, there's a God that promised eternal life to us and it's called the faith of God's elect. Oh, I want to be one of those elect. Then you got to come back next Sunday. Because it's right there in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. It tells you exactly how you can be sure of your election. We walk by faith, 
knowing that we have a replacement house made for us in the heavens. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1 tells us that if our earthly house of this tabernacle be dissolved, I'm watching one get dissolved in my house. We have a tabernacle made in heaven. And that's our glorified body that the Lord has for us. Now it's going to be the same one, but it's going to be totally changed. Don't you forget that. Did you? Did anybody read my comments to the, to the cremator? It's the same body. Otherwise you couldn't use the word, we shall be changed. Because he's going to pull that body out of the ground and glorify it. You know why I'm talking about these things? It takes faith to believe these things. That's why it's called precious faith. When your body's decaying around you to know that your spirit is in the hands of angels that will carry it, carry it into the presence of God. That to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that that Lord, when He died on the cross of Calvary, died also for your body. He will pull that body back together and raise it from the dead. It is called the resurrection of the dead. It is why we are Baptists. Because we baptize in water, we bury a person's body, we raise it back up again because Jesus is coming to tear up cemeteries. And He will tear them up. And He won't have to use anything but the power of His voice. Come forth. And who came forth in John chapter 11? Lazarus. He came forth and will come forth. The doctrines of the Bible are so wonderful, but we wouldn't, they wouldn't give us any value unless we had faith. And it's a wonderful gift of God. It is, it is, it is precious. It is precious. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. What makes that difference? The calling of God. What is involved in the calling of God pertaining to this verse? The the like precious faith given to us. If you believe, bless God for it. Thank Him for it. And embrace every bit of truth that you can get your hands on. Now look at what else it says here. 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. And then it tells us the vehicle by which it came. Through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Do you know what the whole Christian world believes? When I say the whole, you understand that if it's a decimal point with six zeros, it doesn't really matter, right? What that means is we don't really matter. Because the truth has always been held by an an almost immaterial minority. At break time, some of us were talking about we're immaterial. From an accounting standpoint, we're immaterial. They were so few in Elijah's day, he didn't know there were any. God had to tell him, I've got 7,000 secret at home that still love me and haven't kissed Baal. Whenever no one's around, they do other things to Baal. We'll just leave that one for a men's meeting. But Elijah couldn't find them, couldn't see them, couldn't know them. And so we're in a very small minority. But here's here's the doctrinal difference that makes us crazy for truth. Because this is what the Bible says, faith comes through righteousness. Do you know what they all say? John Kelvin, Jonathan Edwards, Lorraine Bettner, every single one of them? Righteousness comes through faith. What does the text say? 
the like precious gift of faith comes through righteousness. God makes us righteous. Legally in Christ, vitally in regeneration, then we have the gift of faith. Then we believe. It comes through the righteousness of God, not because God is merely righteous. God is always righteous. God is perpetually righteous. God is infinitely righteous. Just because God is righteous doesn't cause men to believe. It's because God's righteousness by our Savior Jesus Christ is applied to men. And He makes them righteous by His gift of justification at the cross and His gift of regeneration by giving them a holy new man inside of them created in righteousness and true holiness. Then we have faith. Do you know how weird we are? How strange we are? How unusual we are? But we're this crazy. If God said it, we believe it. And because it said it here, we believe it. And not only because it said it here, because in this chapter, we have an expression that says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. So we're not going to jump off the edge of the cliff with 2 Peter 1.1 by itself. But what we find out is that 2 Peter 1.1 is entirely and totally consistent with what the rest of the Bible teaches. God regenerates us first, and when He regenerates us, we are vitally righteous. Jesus died for us on the cross. It made us legally righteous. We are righteous legally. We are righteous vitally. We are righteous in our new man. And from that flows faith in the opposite direction of Calvinistic, Arminian, or anyone else's idea of justification. Thank you, Lord. We are simple enough, ignorant enough, that we're going to believe your word even though it goes against every other theologian in the history of the world. Do you know how rare we are? It's you younger generation that are sitting in here. Who do you, where do you want to go with me during this week? Where do you want to go? St. Mary's downtown? A Brookwood barbecue? Where do you want to go? A New Spring jam in? Motorcycle Mamas for Jesus? Where do you want to go with me? We'll ask them, which comes first, faith or righteousness? Bob Jones Chapel? Is that what you're trying to say to me with your eyes? I love this. I love this. Faith through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Is it consistent with the greatest example of justification in the Bible? Who is the personal example of justification in the Bible? Abraham. Abraham. I don't have time. I need to ask some of you with great memories because I forgot. Did I ever give you? I didn't preach a sermon and distribute it on the inter- on our website. Did you ever see the timeline of Abraham? Have you? I've got all of Abraham's life here in a timeline. Because there was an event that took place in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6 in which... God said, your seed is going to be as numerous as the stars of heaven. Do you want to count them, Abraham? And Abraham believed God, and it says it was counted to him for righteousness. Well, there's believe, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Well, what does it mean when it says counted to him for righteousness? Does it mean God gave him righteousness because he believed? No. His belief was evidence that he was a righteous man 
and God counted his faith in such a wild, incredible promise as an evidence of a righteous man. The same way it says in Psalm 106, verses 30 and 31, when Phinehas made shish kebab of the fornicating couple in Israel, it says it was counted to him for righteousness. Oh, so there is a two-step approach to getting saved. We believe on Jesus, and then we got to go make shish kebab. No, it was counted to him as an evidence that Phinehas was a righteous man. Instead of standing there bawling his eyes out, instead of standing there having a prayer meeting, he ran into that tent and took care of the problem, and God loved him. And there's a chapter, you still love Phinehas, Stephen? Numbers chapter 25 is all about him, but in Psalm 106, it mentions that it was counted to him for righteousness. Abraham had already been a righteous man a long time before Genesis 15, 6. In Genesis chapter 14, Melchizedek blessed him as the servant of the Most High God. Do you think that Melchizedek was blessing a condemned man on his way to hell? How about in... You know, in chapter 13, he worshipped God. In chapter 12, he worshipped God. He built, the, he built the altar at Bethel and worshipped God, and God accepted his worship. He was led out of Ur of the Chaldeans in, in Genesis chapter 11. Right. He was already a righteous man. That singular event of Genesis 15, 6, which Paul did use at great lengths in Romans 3, Romans 4, Galatians 3, that is a singular event recorded in the Word of God for, for use by Paul to silence the Jewish legalists. Look what it says in the Bible, you Jews that want to keep Moses' law and keep having minor surgery on all your young men thinking that that justifies them. Look at Genesis fifteen six. It says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Our system that we now have, Paul said, is a system of justification by faith that when you believe on Christ, it's counted to you for righteousness, it's imputed to you for righteousness, it's reckoned to you for righteousness, it's counted, accounted, reckoned, imputed are the four words, the four verbs that mean the act of belief is the evidence that you're righteous. And so it's perfectly consistent with what is right here. We we obtained like precious faith through the righteousness of God, not because God is inherently righteous, but because He He applied it to us. He applied it to us at the cross, and He applied it to us in regeneration, and from that flows faith. We are upside down from everyone else. But you know what? By God's Word, we're right side up. Are you willing to bet your destiny in this world and in the world to come on the Word of God? I am. I will. He must increase and I must decrease. And this is one way for him to increase and me to right. decrease. Right. He's got to give me righteousness first, first before I can even work my faith up. Do you know what they do? Everything that they can think of to work faith up so that people can become righteous. I hope that you understood all that. You know, if we slow down too much, I won't make, I won't, we won't get anywhere. I wasn't complaining. I, listen, I will stay on this verse till the summer. Till summer starts. We had spring start this past week. We can go on it till summer. It's just wonderful. Abraham's timeline. I'll send it to you. I was so excited to find it. But I think I did it. But I'm... Jonathan and Jeff, either of you? <laughs> now I've got a divided jury. Uh, 
I was so thrilled. I typed into my, I typed into our website. You know, there was this little tickling idea back here. I knew I'd always wanted to do a timeline of Abraham. Timeline of Abraham, nothing. Well, then I went into uh, my own computer's hard drive and said, "Is there anything in there called a timeline of Abraham?" Oh, sweet <laughs> Lord, who did this? Thank you, whoever it was. But it's wonderful. Do you understand that Abraham's the great example of justification in the Bible? But if you look at the whole picture of Abraham's life, God made him righteous the same way we're all made righteous. By the choice of God. And it put faith in him as early as Genesis chapter 11 for him to pack up his whole household from Ur of the Chaldeans and move into Canaan. He was full of faith in chapter 11. He was full of faith worshiping God in 12. He was full of faith in 13. And Melchizedek blessed him in 14. And it wasn't until 15 that he believed God that he was going to have a numerous seed. And then, as you read last night in James chapter 2, he didn't really prove that Genesis 15, 6 until he had Isaac at 16 years of age on the altar with a knife raised. And then it says, that's how Abraham was justified. You see how Abraham was justified by works. It said that, didn't it? Right. Well, now, wait a minute. Is that what made Abraham righteous? Or was that an example and evidence and proof that he was a righteous man? Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Lord. Is it simple? Is it easy? You have just turned the theological world upside down. By the grace of God and the Word of God. And our Savior, Jesus Christ, of course our Savior is mentioned there. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because that righteousness has to come to us, and it comes to us by God in His righteous wrath, judging, bruising, and killing His own Son for us. And that's how we were made righteous. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For He, that is God, hath made Him, that is Jesus Christ our Savior. For He hath made Him to be sin for us. God made His perfect Son, Jesus, sin for us who knew no sin, Jesus had none of His own, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Exactly what we have in 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1, Obtained like precious faith with us, with us, with us, through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. It's God's righteousness applied to us by what our Savior did for us. Amen. It's wonderful. And from that flows faith. And so when you exercise faith, it's counted, it's accounted, it's reckoned, it's imputed, all meaning the same thing, that you are a righteous man. Just like for Phinehas, it was shish kebab. Just like for Abraham, it was offering Isaac on an altar, James 2. Just like Rahab, it was lying to the civil magistrates of her city to preserve the Israelite spies. She was justified. Did that make her righteous? Or was it the evidence that she was already righteous by the grace of God? Yes, yes, yes. She had faith through righteousness. I don't know how many of you understand what I've just said to you in the last few minutes and how it separates us from the religious world. Because of the Word of God. And God gets all the glory. Their system, when you get to heaven, I don't care what you call it and who you are and what ism that you name yourself, when you get to heaven, there's going to be glory shared with men. But when we get to heaven, there is going to be no glory shared with men. Because righteousness was applied to us before faith mixed with gospel from any crud like me preaching it. 
because it's all by the grace of God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Verse 2, just a, just a few minutes, brethren. I know what time it is. Verse 2. Let me try to make a little progress today. I've enjoyed verse 1 with you. I will send you the timeline of Abraham. It is absolutely out. It, it is so helpful. It is so helpful. Thank you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you. That your little babes, your little financial analysts, can read the Bible and believe it because we've obtained like precious faith through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Those that believe that righteousness comes through the preaching of the gospel, they're sacramentalists. They've turned the preaching of the gospel into a sacrament that it conveys grace to make people righteous. God makes us righteous first. Then we believe it. And the preaching of the gospel is not a sacrament. It conveys information and knowledge about grace as we're about to learn. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Everything seems to come through God and Jesus, doesn't it? Verse 1 was God and Jesus. We get righteousness. And after that, faith. Verse 2 is grace and peace is multiplied to us through the same two parties. Does everything have to come through the same two parties? Praise the Lord it does. Through God and our Lord Jesus and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. What is grace? It is demerited favor. Now listen, brethren. Listen very carefully. Are these people already saved? Did it say in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father? Did the first chapter, verses 23 through 25, say that they were already born again? Did it? Yes, it did. These are born again, justified, elected children of God. And yet it says grace be multiplied to you. Is that grace, is that multiplication of grace for glorification in heaven? No, that is dealt with in other places. What is this grace? Adam read it. Adam read one of the sweetest verses in the Bible. Romans chapter 5 and verse 2. Verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Laying hold of what Jesus Christ did for us gives us peace with God. Verse 2, By which... Oh, Jonathan. Is it by which or by whom? By whom? That's me, not you. By whom? Listen, we just finished up with the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When it says we're justified by faith, faith is the evidence of our justification that we have been made the righteousness of God by Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us. It is by the obedience of one that many receive the gift of righteousness and justification, as Romans 5 later right here fully explains where there isn't a Jewish legalist so much in view because it traces us back to Adam, not back to Abraham. Don't get me off on that one because this is one of my favorite places in the Bible. But right here in verse 2, speaking of Jesus Christ, by whom also, also, it's in addition to justification in our peaceful relationship with God, 
by whom, by Jesus also, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The Christian life of rejoicing in hope, the Christian life of being able to endure tribulations knowing that they work patience and experience and hope, and the Christian life that has the Holy Spirit shedding abroad in our hearts that God loves us, that comes to us through Christ via faith. So, back here, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Is it the library knowledge of God? Is it the head knowledge of God? Or is it the faith that is mixed with the knowledge of God by which grace and peace are multiplied to us? Do you know what multiplication means? Now, does Paul sometimes say grace and peace to you? Does the Bible sometimes say grace and peace be added to you? We don't have such a text here. It's grace and peace being multiplied. Does that sound better to you? That is exciting. I had a young man come to me at break time today telling me that he loved that word, multiplication. Multiplied. That's so much better than just grace and faith to you. I don't mean to make fun of it in another passage. I'm just making fun of it that Peter wouldn't write that here. You know what? He did the same thing in 1 Peter. Same thing, grace and peace be multiplied. And it's not grace and peace be added, it's grace and peace be multiplied. But how do, how do we, how do we get God's overflowing grace? What is it? Demerited favor. God's kindness. God's blessing. God's shedding abroad in our hearts that He loves us. Us knowing that tribulations make us better. Us knowing, standing in grace right now of the Christian rest. Do you know how we get all that? Do you know how it just overflows? And so that nothing can deter us in this life through the knowledge of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Do you know what we ought to be spending our time learning about, talking about, thinking about, asking God to give more of it to us? The knowledge of God and the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you know why I preached five sermons to you? The unsearchable riches of Christ? Because that is the key to your successful life. The glory of God. The exaltation of Jesus. And your blessing to have grace and peace multiplied. We're not going to be afraid of any Arminian sound there. Because that's the practical phase of salvation. Because these people, we are absolutely certain, were already elect and already born again from the first chapter of the first epistle. Do you understand that? And that Jesus had died for them and their eternal security was absolutely set because the first epistle is all about the Lord Jesus Christ being revealed from heaven and taking them home that they already had an eternal inheritance, undefiled, and so forth, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 1. This is practical grace and peace that we need. Peace is tranquility, contentment, quietness in your life. Would you like a little more of peace in your life now? We've got peace with God through Jesus Christ. We're going to have peace in heaven. But this is peace now. And this is Peter's blessing upon this audience of his. Grace and peace be multiplied. Grace is the demerited favor of God blessing us in all kinds of spiritual ways. To know the love of Christ. To to see Christ. To feel Christ. To to understand that our trials are sent in love for us. And that we are standing in grace. And to be embraced in God's grace. Now, you better think of this as as high as you can possibly reach 
Because the next two verses are going to tell you that it is by His divine power in which we partake of the divine nature. And that this is those are practical verses. How do you get filled with the fullness of God? By sitting around reading Sports Illustrated and Cycle World and hoping that God will do it by His power? How do you get filled with all the fullness of God? Is election enough? Not if we go to Ephesians chapter 3 because in chapter 1 there was election. Is regeneration enough? No. Regeneration was in Ephesians chapter 2. But why in Ephesians chapter 3 was Paul praying for those elect and regenerate people that they could experience the fullness of God, filled with all the fullness of God? What is it based on? What, What was necessary? What ingredient was still to come for them? That the Holy Spirit, by divine power, I hope that you're thanking those of you who know the first four verses, the Holy Spirit, by divine power, would reveal to them the four dimensions of the love of Christ which pass knowledge. It is faith embracing higher degrees of God's revelation of Jesus Christ for us by which we are filled with all the fullness of God. It is practical. It is practical by the gospel and by the power of the Holy Spirit coming together, building up our faith and our faith embracing what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ so that grace and peace are multiplied to us. How much can they be multiplied? There is no limit to God's ability to multiply grace and peace to those that will apply themselves to increase their knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God the Holy Spirit will bless us to do that and He will open up all the dimensions of it. And there is a situation that can be arrived at practically that is being filled with all the fullness of God. That isn't in heaven. That can be achieved now by the power of the Holy Spirit increasing our knowledge, which is what's right here. And with this I close, because you are going to have a choice in the next 168 hours, how much time and energy will you spend toward knowing God and Jesus Christ? We're not monks and we're not nuns. You don't have to spend all your time. But will you spend a little bit of time every day to know God better and to know Jesus Christ better? Do you know how important it was to this author, I speak of God, and this writer, I speak of Peter? Watch. Knowledge in verse 2. Knowledge in verse 3. Knowledge in verse 5. Knowledge in verse 6. Knowledge in verse 8. Knowledge in chapter 2 and verse 20. And here is his last verse. 2 Peter 3.18 But grow, but grow, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom be glory both now and forever. Amen. That knowledge, will you this week, in bed, beside your bed, on your knees, tell God that you want to know Him better, And that by His Spirit, to reveal Himself to you through His Word, by His Spirit, by bringing things to your memory, and that you want to know the Lord Jesus Christ better, and that you're asking God to show Him to you more clearly, and show Him to you through the pages of Scripture, and you will read the Word of God to see the Lord Jesus Christ there. It is through the knowledge of God, and it's through the knowledge of Jesus our Lord, 
That grace and peace is multiplied to us and the grace in which we stand is increased and the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts and we're able to endure tribulations and trials knowing that they work experience and experience hope. It's the, it's the cure-all as much as we can have while we're here practically and this can be elevated to where you are filled with all the fullness of God. And I know that you have jobs, so you can't spend all that long at it, and you don't need to. The Lord knows you have other obligations, but do you give Him a few minutes a day in which you assault the throne of God, seeking the face of God? Remember what we had in Psalm 27 that we began with? When, when thou saidest, seek ye my face, I said, Lord, thy face will I seek. Amen. That's the word for you today. 2 Peter 1, 1 and 2. May God bless you and me to seek His face and to increase in knowledge of Him and His Son and to grow in grace and to grow in grace multiplied and to grow in peace and to grow in peace multiplied and to know... I know I'm repeating myself, but do you know how much I like Romans 5, 5 this time? It was 2 a few minutes ago. It's 5, 5 now. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Shed abroad. There is a spot, there is a light that comes into our hearts and it shines into every nook and cranny of our hearts and reveals to us God loves us. But there is a route to it. Learning more about God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more you learn about it and the more you see the law, you're at God's right hand. And, and uh, James's economic theories applied to to Jesus Christ and those different things, the more you do that and embrace that, did it help Did it help the last five sermons, Sarah? Well, you told me it did. I know that you're nodding your head affirmatively. It's wonderful. I want it, I want it for all of us. It's what Peter wrote by the Holy Ghost. Amen. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Amen.